hello, and welcome to episode four of the Diamond Duo podcast, brought to you by one guy who definitely didn't screw up the intro two times, and another hopeless Giants fan who's going to try and talk about baseball to alleviate the pain of New York Giants football. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined by my wonderful co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you all things baseball uh, last week and this upcoming week. Tom, I did it. I made it through an intro. Oh boy, if the audience ever hears that blooper folder. We're saving that, by the way, in the blooper folder. Tony's f***ed up intro. Oh, oh well, there I go with the cursing already. Um, there is a, I, don't worry, if they end up hearing that, I'm going to be bleeped out at least five <laughs> times in the, in the span of like three seconds. Well, you know, Tony, I, I, th- I think we have our audiogram for the week already, and we didn't even start the show like more than five minutes. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know what? That's less time for me having to peek up. Uh, piece through the entire episode and choose one there we go we'll just have the intro and yeah, the twitter sure. caption will be twitter caption will read like tony's week surmised in one quote i don't know i'm not feeling creative right now as you can tell it's my third intro <laughs> speaking of twitter handles our twitter is at diamond duo pod if you want to give us a follow there um on instagram we're at the diamond duo podcast Uh, Make sure to give us a follow there as well. We'll be starting to post more graphics, hopefully. We've posted a whopping total of zero so far, except our um, announcements of the episode and our audiograms for the week, um, which is some uh, stuff that uh, we will definitely continue going forward. Um, Graphics coming soon. We've got some brewing ideas. I know we've we've teased that for like the past month now because... Congratulations, Tony. We can finally say we've been on the airwaves for about a month when this episode releases. So big round of applause might be edited into the podcast around this time. But uh, we'll see. (laughs) Damn, I didn't even come to think of that. It's actually been a month. So yeah, congratulations are in order for you as well. We made it one whole month. And like you said, still no graphics, but hey, we got some on the horizon. We might be pumping out an idea as soon as this week. And trust me, you're going to want to see it. We're going to have some funny content. We're going to have some insightful content. We're going to have more content than the content we have right now. So stay tuned to that, ladies and gentlemen. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. The handles that Tom said earlier, at Diamond Duo Pod for Twitter and the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. Yes, sir. So uh, before we go any further, um, a disclaimer, we're recording We're recording this Sunday, September 26th at 1.20 p.m. So, again, if anything is outdated, then sucks to be you. But uh, ho- hopefully it won't be too outdated. Hopefully we'll get this up by Tuesday. I say that every week, and uh, it's, a, it's a mixed bag and of the, results, Tony, of when we actually and, upload these. And then life happens. I Not much else to say. We love doing this podcast, but we're also adults with jobs, and sometimes those jobs can get it kind of stressful and kind of time-consuming. So... We're going to shoot for Tuesday this week. Whether it happens, we'll see. We're going to try our best. any rate, let's let's start going into around the horn. I called it leading off last week. I'm not going to call it leading off again this week. We're going to go around the horn. Again, 30 seconds on each team around the MLB, how they fared in the previous week. Order is randomized as usual. Tony leads things off. Let's go around the horn. Let's go around the horn. And... Oh my goodness, the randomizer just had to lead off with this team because this team has clearly not had enough pain over the second half of this baseball season. Let's talk about the San Diego Padres. 
Now, I have some stats and stories and notes about the Padres, but the first word I have written, it's three letters, and they go like this. L-O-L. The Padres, after an insanely hyped offseason, have been eliminated from playoff contention due to crushing series losses to the Giants, Cardinals, and Braves. Good teams find a way to overcome adversity, no matter their schedule strength. The Padres were exposed as frauds this past week, and because of that, they will not be playing meaningful October baseball. And Jace Tingler and A.J. Preller are probably going to be showing the door. Tatis has all but lost a uh, NL MVP favoritism, thanks to guys like Bryce Harper and Juan Soto. Um, and last note, Padres, have fun with the Dodgers and Giants this week. I think you're going to have fun. All right, now let's actually go to the polar opposite of end of the spectrum, to a team that had probably the second best week in all of baseball. They haven't been St. Louis good, but don't look now. The uh, Seattle Mariners quietly rattled off six straight wins this week. They swept the Oakland A's in four games, and thanks to guys like Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, and Logan Gilbert, the M's are playing meaningful September baseball for the first time in years. And with the AL East tripping over each other at the back half of this year, with the Yankees playing the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Rays so often, the Mariners, if they keep it up, they could sneak their way in there if they play their cards right. So Mariners, first time I'm ever going to say this, I'm proud of you. All right, those were two very relevant teams. Let's get irrelevant with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, only big headlines this week were the unfortunate losses of Derek Hill on a pretty scary collision at first base against the Tampa Bay Rays and Matt Boyd, who is going to get flexor tendon surgery, both of whom are likely out for the year. Well, Boyd is definitely out for the year. And actually, given the nature of the surgery, Boyd's future in Detroit itself is uncertain. Congratulations, uh, wow. Congratulations to rookie Alex Lang for locking down his first big league save. He was very happy about that. And Miguel Cabrera sits 17 hits away, at the time of recording, from number 3,000. That's literally all that's going on in Detroit. So, Tom, take it away. Thank you, Tony. Now for my first team, and whoop de freaking do the Rays are the AL East champions. Who could have saw that one coming from a mile away? It became official on Saturday's victory over the other Florida team, the Miami Marlins, and it marks their second straight division title unless you somehow don't count the pandemic-shortened season for whatever reason. I personally thought that they would have slumped this year like some teams do after they make the World Series, but clearly, this team has something special, and I will dread the day they may have to play a certain team from New York in the postseason. May being the very key word in that last sentence. Well, it's official. The Angels have now wasted another year of the prime times of both of their superstars. Shohei Otani will inevitably win the MVP, so at least there's some sort of compensation for the lack of effort surrounding him. However, Mike Trout can't say too many good things. His season has officially been over since a couple of weeks ago when his team and or when he and team staff decided it would be best for his future to do so. Trout recently acknowledged that the year has been the most frustrating of his career, but now he's in a better place both mentally and physically. Next up for the Angels, one more week of baseball where they will likely clinch their sixth straight losing season. Two numbers. One, five. Now when you put them together, you've got 15, which is the exact number of wins the Cardinals have in a row, at least as of 1 p.m. on September 26th. I don't think many baseball scholars saw this coming, especially considering the Cards have previously played much closer to 500 ball all season but they will be the hottest team in baseball entering the postseason should they not choke their five-game lead away and pose a serious threat 
to the Dodgers or Giants in the NL wildcard game. Also, shout out to Adam Wainwright for reaching 2,000 career strikeouts. He is now the second Cardinal of all time to reach that feat, joining the great Bob Gibson. Well, 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 surprise of surprises, the Washington Nationals are bad. Now, they didn't do anything of note this week, but I'm going to do something different and talk about one specific player here because, guys, but Juan Soto might be the best player in baseball, guys. In the second half, he is slashing 377, 547, and 706, good for a 1253 OPS. I, I've i been singing the tune of Bryce Harper the past few weeks, but honestly, I might be singing a different one going down to this last week of the season. Like I said, I'll talk about him more later. The Nationals themselves didn't have many great stories, but Juan Soto may just be the second coming of Jesus Christ with a baseball bat. All right, uh, that was a bad team. Let's keep it bad and talk about the Miami Marlins. Again, they didn't really do anything this week other than lose series to the Pirates, Nationals, and Rays. Uh, so let's focus on a few specific players, which include Sandy Alcantara, reaching a personal benchmark of 2,000, uh, 2,000, wow, 200 innings pitched. Uh, shout out to rookie catcher Nick Fortes for collecting his first three big league home runs this week, and he tied it up with a nice bow of a 1744 OPS to, rav- uh, to round out his first full week in the majors. So big congratulations to Fortes. Just a shame you're on the Marlins though, man. Oh, what do you know? Tony gets three bad teams in a row. It's time for the Chicago Cubs. And they really only served as doormats to fuel the Cardinals' impressive win streak as they were brushed aside by them easily and will likely be brushed aside by them yet again. Uh, There are some bright spots in the Windy City, though, at least the north side of the Windy City, as guys like Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel, and Rafael Ortega are putting up some really good cases as to why they should be considered cornerstones in the Cubs' 2022 ambitions, should they have any ambitions next year. Oh, Canada. More like, oh no, Canada. The Blue Jays are literally letting an entire country down by losing two games to the Twins of all teams. They have had a bit of a falling off since their mojo was stolen in Toronto, or rather Alejandro Kirk's catching card was taken by Kevin Kiermeyer, and the Blue Jays have been streaky ever since. Because of their up-and-down performances, they are two games back of the second wildcard spot in the American League, and they will need to step it up real quickly if they have any chance of making my prediction of a Red Sox-Blue Jays wildcard game I gave a couple weeks back of coming true with the Yankees coming to town. My ego wants my prediction to come true, but my heart says otherwise. Speaking of predictions, let's talk about a team that completely wrecked all of mine for the NL wildcard game, the Cincinnati Reds! And congratulations are in order for them on winning their only series of the month against the Nationals this past weekend. That will be if they overcome Washington in today's game, that being Sunday, September 26th. I'm sure we will raise our voices later on in the broadcast that Reds fans have done since the month began when we talked the playoff picture, so I'll leave you all with this for now. Reds fans, there's always next year. Not really. You're not going to have Nick Castellanos. Why not keep the disappointment train rolling into my sixth team of the segment, the New York Mets. I swear to God at the blink of my eyes, I saw this franchise sitting pretty near 500 like two weeks ago, and now I laugh in sorrow for the Mets faithful when I saw their record is now 73-81. and This is just proof that money can't buy you happiness, at least not yet in the Steve Cohen era. It's only year one of the relaunching of the Mets, so let's not be too hard on Cohen already. 
The ship will steer itself in the right direction eventually, starting with what should be the imminent firing of Luis Rojas at the end of the year in a move that everyone sees coming. But boy, oh boy, do they have a lot of questions to be answered when their offseason begins after their homestead with Miami and their road trip to Atlanta to cap off the year. Oh man, speaking of New York teams with questionable managers, let's talk about the Yankees, shall we? But actually... For a change, let's talk about some good news with the Yankees, as they seem to have found their mojo over the past week, rattling off a clean five wins thanks to a sweep of the Texas Rangers, and a series win at the very minimum against Boston, possibly a sweep depending on how tonight's game, September 26th, goes. And they also saw the return of Luis Severino, he's coming out of the bullpen, but he is pitching an MLB for the first time in almost two years, very good for him. DJ LeMay, who is day-to-day with a sore hip, and Garrett Cole is looking to will both his name back into the Cy Young race and the Yankees themselves back into the postseason picture. I hope your back isn't too tired yet, Garrett. You might have to carry him a bit more. Well, 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 it's the Baltimore Orioles of the National League in the Arizona Diamondbacks, who were tactically spanked in every facet by the Braves in four games, although they did put up a very nice comeback in the rubber match of Game 4. They stole a win from the Dodgers last night, Saturday, uh, thanks to a great performance from Zach Gallen, who really looked like his old self. Six innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, and eight Ks. In other news from the desert, Tori Lovello, longtime manager, is going to get a one-year extension and remain with the team in 2022. He seems to have great rapport with his players and GM Mike Hazen, and let's be honest here, if they wanted to fire him, they would have done it when they went 8-48 and 48 earlier in the year. Boston, Boston, oh, Boston, I... what oh, are you oops. doing? Tom, you're not up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I heard a you, lot you, of silence because of Discord. It lagged. You don't know how to count. Either that or Discord doesn't know how to operate. Both of those might be true. But nevertheless, <laughs> Boston, what are you doing to your fans? Because this week was a tale of two cities for them. First, they looked themselves to be the kings of queens as they crushed the Mets in two games, outscoring them 18-8. to But then... A bit of a Bronx tale came to town as they dropped two critical matches to their longtime foes in the Yankees and Saturday's loss off the back of a soul-crushing Grand Slam from Giancarlo Stanton. They need, need, need to take advantage of their easy-as-hell schedule in against the Orioles and Nationals this week to maintain that wildcard spot, because the last thing they want is to fight for their October baseball in either the Bronx or Toronto. Tom now it is your turn. Excellent. Hopefully I don't interrupt you anymore during this broadcast. But Anyway, my next team is... Uh... No, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll find a way oh, to interrupt I'm, you. It'll be easy enough I, to do that. I'm a riot. Continue, Tom. <laughs> At any rate, Dodger fans, I bet you would have thought the NL West title would have been all years by now in April. Well, look at them now. With one week to go in the regular season, both LA and the Giants control their own destinies about who will win the division title, with a slight advantage to San Francisco for being two games up. With that one week still to come, it looks as if the Dodgers will be without Cody Bellinger during that stretch, and possibly even more as he's recovering from yet another injury sustained this year. This time around, it appears to be a left rib fracture keeping him on the injured list. His team certainly won't miss his whopping 43 OPS+, plus. All that much, which, by the way, is 57% below the league average. Let's hope that good times await for the former MVP. Now, 
On to the next team, the Pittsburgh Pirates continue to be miserable. So instead of talking about them, I'd like to congratulate their low A affiliate, the Bra the I gotta pronounce this right, the Bradenton or the Bradenton Marauders for winning the low A Southeast Championship this past week. I wonder how they'd fare against a big league squad considering how bad they are. They'd still probably lose, but they probably would make it close. Also, sad news, longtime employee of the team, Gene Donatelli, who worked just about 60 years in the Pirates' front office, has passed away two days before her 91st birthday. She spent her six decades working for the franchise as an executive assistant for many general managers, dating back to Joe L. Brown, all the way through the Neil Huntington days that ended just a short time ago. In lieu of flowers, if you would like to make a donation in her name, contact the Humane Animal Rescue of Pittsburgh, located on 6926 Hamilton Avenue. Rest in peace, Gene. Rest in peace. Heading to the NL East, the Braves are probably holding their breaths by taking one look at the standings. They barely lead the NL East to the Philadelphia Phillies, who will be talked about later on in the segment, and the two rivals are set to square off in what surely will be a season-defining series this upcoming week. Now for some baseball history. On July 21st, Adam Duvall's Marlins faced Daniel Hudson's Nationals, but on that same date, would you believe that Adam Duvall's Braves faced Hudson's Padres? Now, how did this happen? Well, in short, each player was traded to their now-respective franchises, who just so happened to have a suspended game on July 21st that got made up last night, Saturday, September 25th. According to Elias Sports Bureau, that is only the second time in the modern era that two players have both played two different games for two different teams on the same date. You'll have to go back nearly 100 years to 1922 to find the first instance of this happening. If only I had knew about this earlier than the night before we recorded, I totally would have given this to Tony for my trivia question this week. Well, thank you, Tom. Now my brain hurts, and I don't know how to read English, so I'm going to have to postpone my Around the Horn segment, except I won't, and now I'm going to get to my next team, provided that was actually three that you said. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Nevertheless, the Minnesota Twins, bad team, bad week, right? Well, actually, the Minnesota Twins had a really, really good week. Not only did they sweep the Cubs in two games, they will at least split their four-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays this weekend, depending on how the fourth match this Sunday goes, this past Sunday, I should say, goes. And by the way, Joe Ryan, the prized po uh, prospect return from the Nelson Cruz trade, just casually rattled off 11 strikeouts in five innings against the Cubs. That's the news. Joe Ryan is apparently Nolan Ryan now. Maybe they're related. Who knows? Except they're definitely not. Speaking of young, hot rookies for the Minnesota Twins, Nick Gordon is on fire right now. He is hitting 435 for the week, two home runs, eight, er, eight RBIs, wow, and two stolen bases in the last seven days. So Minnesota, your team might be trash, and you might be the Yankees' property in October, but your future, for the time being, looks pretty damn good. And congrats to Justin Morneau for being elected to the Twins Hall of Fame. Well, hey, would you look at that? It's the Arizona Diamondbacks of the American League in the Baltimore Orioles. And bad team is bad. Despite at least splitting a series with Texas, they've still been chugging along, not doing much of anything. But congratulations are in order for Cedric Mullins for becoming the first Oriole ever to put up a 30 home run, 30 steal season. You think in Orioles history, names like Cal Ripken Jr., Reggie Jackson, Frank Robinson, Eddie Murray, all-time Hall of Fame greats, none have ever done that. 
And even though Mullins' 2021 isn't on par with some of the best seasons as those aforementioned Hall of Famers, the young center fielder has just etched his name into Baltimore history and is having an MVP-type campaign for the ages. Congratulations, Cedric, and thank you for leading my fantasy baseball team to the finals. Oh man, when I think of the Oakland A's season, two words come to my mind. Big yikes. They were swept in four games by the Seattle Mariners that, in all likelihood, probably killed their season. Frankie Montas continues to be one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. He just recently eclipsed 200 strikeouts on the season. Chris Bassett had a triumphant return to the mound recently after that scary comebacker in the south side of Chicago, and he hurled three scoreless innings, but his effort was wasted because their offense can't keep up and their bullpen can't hold leads. Your next two opponents are Seattle and Houston, Oakland. If you want even a modicum of a chance to make the dance, you've got to win, and you've got to win now. Because you gave up Jesus Lazardo for half a year of Starling Marte, and he might not even be playing in October for you. Get it together. Imagine a world where the Colorado Rockies have played above expectations better than the San Diego Padres have. Now, open your eyes. Congratulations, you've been living in that world all along. I wouldn't have believed this if you told me this fact back in March, but here we are now. Nothing too special happened in the past seven days except for Larry Walker getting his number 33 retired by the team on Saturday. And his number marks the third retired number in Rockies history, joining Jackie Robinson's 42 and Todd Helton's number 17. Walker went on to say that there is no higher honor by a club than having your jersey retired. Congratulations, Larry. Ah, the Rangers. They don't have Jack Leiter up on the big league squad yet. Moving on. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, the, I'll at the very least give them a few more seconds of airtime. With that, I'd like to point out that they've gone 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. Big surprise for a team that's one game away from 100 losses. Now, I'll move on. The San Francisco Giants, like the Dodgers, control their own destiny with a two-game lead over the Dodgers in the NL West race. This week, they officially eclipsed the 100-win plateau, so congratulations to Gabe Kapler on unofficially winning the NL Manager of the Year award already. And if this season wasn't already great enough for the Giants, they set a franchise record for the most home runs in a single season this week by mashing their 236th home run on Saturday by team captain Brandon Belt. All right, and to round out my half of Around the Horn, we're going to revisit three AL Central teams, and only one of them is relevant. Imagine that. All right, let's start with the one of the irrelevant ones in the Cleveland Indians. Shane Bieber returned to the mound this week and threw three perfect innings against the Chicago White Sox, so always good to see that, a former Cy Young winner getting back into it. Anthony Goes, who was a topic on the show last week, the outfield turn relief pitcher for Cleveland came out of the pen against Chicago and was consistently throwing 100 miles an hour and got out of the inning clean. So congratulations to Anthony Ghost on that. Definitely the anti-Rick Ankeel, or reverse Rick Ankeel, I suppose you can call him. And other than that, yes, Jose Ramirez and Cal Quantrill are still being wasted. Thank you for asking. Maybe next year, Indians, or Guardians, or I'm never calling them that. From the has-been AL Central Tamps, champs to the current champs, the Chicago White Sox locked down the AL Central crown for the first time since 2008. Congratulations to them. Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon, for the time being, are day-to-day. -day. 
but should be ready in time for October baseball. Speaking of the pitching at October baseball, let's hope that the recent struggles of Giolito and Lynn are a thing of the past for your own sake, White Sox fans. Renowned old guy and MLB manager himself, Tony La Russa, says the team can't lose its edge and pull a Zach Scott and fall asleep at the wheel. I mean, he would know a thing or two about unruly conduct while driving a car, so I would listen to him, White Sox. And lastly, for my point of discussions, let's talk the Kansas City Royals, which, perhaps sparked by Salvador Perez's breaking of Johnny Bench's home run record for a catcher, they played some pretty good baseball this week. Hunter Dozier, who is probably one of the biggest busts of 2021, actually remembered how to play baseball quite a bit this week. He slashed 350, 375, and 800 with two home runs and six ribbies, and the pitching staff genuinely did not do that poorly with great pitching lines from guys like Carlos Hernandez and John Heasley. Heasley, by the way, pitched five and a third with no earned runs, three hits, and three Ks in his second ever start after his first start didn't exactly go his way. So welcome to the bigs, John Heasley. Hope you're here to stay. The Houston Astros have still not managed to clinch a spot in the postseason yet, despite being the team to beat in the AL West all season. They have dropped three straight games as of this recording, and that is why they haven't clinched yet. That magic number, by the way, to clinch is two games. Of the losing streak, Dusty Baker said, quote, These guys are playing hard into the best of their ability each and every day. I don't hear them complain about being tired. I don't hear them complain ever. These guys, I know how they're feeling. You have to go out there and think things will be better tomorrow. It probably will for Houston because they've got a huge lead in the division right now, and they surely will clinch a spot in the postseason soon to come later on in the week. Now, we've got two teams left in around the horn, and I completely forgot to do prep for these two teams because uh, I fell asleep last night on my computer. So I'm going to be winging these two teams off the top of my head as soon as I can pull up the Milwaukee Brewers page on uh, MLB.com. Whoop-de-doo. So, shit, what do I have to say about the Brewers? Um, Bob Day, he just had his 50th anniversary in the broadcast booth. Uh, congratulations to longtime voice of the Brewers, Bob Euler. Or, f***ing goddammit, Bob Euchre. Euchre. Yeah, I, I feel terrible for that now. Uh, great job <laughs> by Bob Euchre for being in the booth for 50 years. He had a quote that I was going to um, say, and I found that quote. Um, on his thoughts, if he ever thought about retirement, I don't want to be put in a spot where I'm going to embarrass myself on the air or embarrass the organization. He paused. That's why I always wear a diaper. He deadpanned. Classic Bob Euchre. Classic, classic Bob Euchre. By the way, the Brewers are currently playing the New York Mets, and it looks like they're going for a sweep and a division title today that they will surely get at least sometime in the next week. 29 down, one to go, and we'll end things off in the Keystone State. I think that's Pennsylvania's nickname. I really hope it was. For the Philadelphia Phillies. And again, I got to look at MLB.com and figure out what to say on the fly um, I know what I'm going to talk about, and that's that they're one and a half games back of the Atlanta Braves for the NL East division. Believe it or not, of course, led by the likes of MVP frontrunner Bryce Harper, the Phillies have been surging in the second half of the season, and now it's do or die time for them. They're 8-2 in their last 10. They've won five straight. And again, they play Atlanta this upcoming week in what will be, again, a season-defining series for both teams because there is no second wildcard spot 
for one of these two teams. The Cardinals pretty much have a lock on that at this rate. Even though it's not official yet, they'll still probably win it. So whoever wins the NL East is going to be the only team in the postseason for the NL East division. And the Phillies are in prime position to knock Atlanta out of the first place position. Well, that's it for Around the Horn, and I thought I did a pretty good job of ad-libbing about the Phillies, not so much about the Brewers, so that's probably going to sound terrible on the recording. But that is it for Around the Horn this week, and yeah, that wasn't so bad. There was a lot of slips in there that we're probably going to have to take out of the recording. I don't know if we're going to take out me completely forgetting <laughs> how to count to three in the uh, recording, Tony. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to be leaving that in, but if not, we're certainly saving that as a blooper. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I honestly think renowned broadcaster Bob Euler has to stay in there as well. Aww. You know, of of Major League fame. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie Major League, please go watch the movie Major League. I don't know. We You started talking about Bob Euchre, and I started reminiscing about both his great career and his great performance in that movie. Sorry, it's just like a secondhand thing at this point. Oh, no, that's probably like... The first instance I ever heard Bob Euchre's voice was watching Major League, and I didn't even know it was Bob Euchre at the time when I first watched it back all the way in the days of, like, the mid-2000s, probably. So, yeah, Bob Euchre, great guy, hopefully. Or I know his legend will never die, because he's definitely one of the best broadcasters, I think, in the history of MLB baseball, um, unofficially saying that, but I think it's pretty much official at this point. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling on and on, because we've got a lot to discuss coming up in the broadcast, but first... We have our first trivia question of the week presented by Tony Puglisi and sponsored by no one. We still don't have a sponsor for the show. Please sponsor us. Go on, Tony. Yes, yes. Please sponsor us. But in the time in which we're not sponsored and God willing in the future when we are sponsored, I'm going to still be stumping Tom with trivia questions. So that being said. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're going to be stumping me all the time. That's <laughs> I, I don't know about that one, sir. Um, uh, although I am, like, right. w- although I am like one for three. So, I mean, I guess you could say that, um, all right, then one prove me wrong. Let's prove me wrong. Get this question right. Excellent. Go. Ah, ah. So Tom, you brought this team up and around the horn and you mentioned there are many accolades. The San Francisco giants, I think are bar none, the biggest surprise of the 2021 season. They have eclipsed a hundred games this week. Like you said, you broke, uh, you didn't break it. They broke it. They broke their team home run record in a single season. Even if they don't go all the way to the World Series, it's still got to be one to remember for a Giants team that was pretty much ruled out of playoff contention from day one. Now, like I said earlier, Tom, the Giants eclipsed 100 wins this season. They were the first one to do so. They won't be the only one, but they could take pride in the fact that they were the first one. And you know, this is actually the first time in a while that the San Francisco Giants have won this many games. Tom, I want you to tell me the year, the most recent year, excluding 2021, where the San Francisco Giants won 100 games. Oof. So you say the first time in a while, and in my lifetime, there's been probably about four or five really, really good San Francisco Giants teams dating back to the Barry Bonds days. Now, can I ask this? The year you're talking about, is this when Barry Bonds was on the team? Ooh, do I give you that big of a hint? I mean, you know what? Bonds was with the team for a while. I will tell you, Bonds was with the team when they had when they had this last 100-game season. 100-win season. Pardon me. Gotcha. So he was with the team. So that means it wasn't 2010, 2012, or 2014. So that rules it out. So that that's nope. good. That, so that, they did not win the World Series in this year. They didn't. I'm going to say it was their 2002 season 
where they made the World Series, but then they inevitably lost it to the Los Angeles Angels. That will be my guess, but I probably have another year or two in the can if I'm wrong. You lock it in 2002? Yeah, sure, why not? All right. Unfortunately, that answer will not uh, come. Uh, you want, I, will t- I will tell you this. I will tell you this. You can't, you can't tell because our cameras are off this time in an effort to facilitate communication through Discord, which as you could probably tell from around the horn is going swimmingly. <laughs> but you were close. I will tell you that. So it's in the 1990s is my guess then. I'm, 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 I'm asking uh, you if it was in the 1990s. Oh, oh you're asking me. I, yeah. I will tell you no. Oh, it's not. Nope. They did this in the 21st century. Oh, shit. 2000? Nope. 2001? Warmer. 2002? Well, I already know it's not 2002. <laughs> um, Is it 2002 this time? <laughs> yeah, it's 2002 now. Uh, I'm just going to... Tony, I could list every year going up to 2010. You could just tell me the season at this rate. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if it would give you how much more credit to give you if you do just guess it. So when I said you were close when you guessed 2002, you were a year off. It was 2003. Ah, God damn it. 2003 Giants frontlined, like you said, Tom, by Barry Bonds, by a bunch of the guys who actually brought them to the World Series in 2002. They just couldn't get it done that year. And despite 100 wins, fell short yet again. So... You were close. I honestly thought like there was going to be an off chance, like what I did with the Jim Abbott question all the way back in episode one, you would pull off with this question. And you were very close. I will give you credit in that. You almost had it. I will take a quarter of the credit for that one for being one year off, but that's still a failing grade. So I I guess I was a little too cocky, and you can say that you stumped me yet again um, in this trivia question. One of these days, man. One of the, I mean, I, I talked the talk, but I've only gotten one question right myself, which that's how you got to hold yourself in quiz, uh, in the trivia segment like this, man, right? Oh, of course. Now, I already told you that your question probably won't be too difficult if you know recent baseball. Um, so I hope to God that you get <laughs> which, it. I hope, I hope that you get it wrong. For the sake of me um, asking the question, if not, then I got to start thinking of some more difficult trivia questions for the weeks uh, that come. But um, yeah, so that's that's it for trivia one of the show. Now we got to move on to our major headlines because we're going to be doing a segment in just a little bit after this major headlines discussion and our second trivia question that we'll probably be talking about for, I would say, a good little while. But I'm not going to even tease that yet. Um, Let's just jump into our headline. Tony, take it away. All right. So for headline number one this week, like Tom said, we don't have too many concrete earth-shattering stories. A good chunk of them we already brushed upon, uh, touched upon in Around the Horn. You could think Adam Wainwright's 2000 strikeouts that Tom mentioned, Cedric Mullins' 30-30 season that I mentioned. So to open up the major headlines discussion, Tom, let's say we just look, gaze upon the postseason picture Give credit where credit is due and give pitiful pity laughs to those who deserve them. Uh, oh, I'm going to love doing this. So a couple weeks ago, we did uh, Brick by Brick and Wake Me Up When September Ends. This is pretty much probably going to go a lot like that, except we're not going to format it in any way possible. We're just going to go down the standings and give you some updates because there's only one week left of the season. Think of it this way. Think of it as almost a revisiting of Wake Me Up When September Ends two weeks later because some of the teams we talked about in brick by brick 
who we thought would be building up for the postseason, have flamed out spectacularly. And even some of the teams who we thought were worthy enough to be put in Wake Me Up When September Ends are alive and kicking even still. So, Tom, let's say we kick off this postseason discussion. Who would you like to talk about first? Excellent. Let me take a look at the rundown and make sure I didn't write anybody first. I didn't. I just wrote who clinched and who's still fighting first. So I guess we will start there before we talk about teams that completely shit themselves. Uh, So let's take a look in the American League picture first, and let's just go down the board. Tampa Bay, again, they clinched their spot in the postseason. They won the AL East. whoop de fucking do they're 96 and 59 at the time of the recording. They're not going to be caught, obviously, for that division title. Uh, Boston is in second, but they're tied with the Yankees at eight games back. They got one more game. I believe it's today. They might even be playing right now, again, this Sunday, um, September 26. I'm going to go on the CBS Sports Wait. app and check that out. Uh, they No, they're playing. You said seven. the Red Sox, the Yankees? No, they're. Yeah, they're seven o'clock. They have Sunday night baseball tonight. So yeah. one team is going to be embarrassed. Uh, humiliatingly embarrassed for the whole nation to see. I would hope it would be the Red Sox because they were humiliated and embarrassed for two nights in a row. Uh, one by literally dropping the ball uh, at Kyle Schwarber. Hi, Editor Tom here. Speaking of dropping balls. Two two pitches hit in the air out to shallow left. Gallo on the move for it. Oh, boy. Oh, no, he dropped it! And um, the other one being um they just completely dropped it last night and they gave up a moonshot to john carlos stanton who i'm pretty sure that ball is still rolling in the streets of boston as we speak right now he launched that over the green monster and speaking of hitting shots over the green monster stanton is homered again i just had to put that one in there red sox fans absolutely had to Sound courtesy of the MLB and ESPN, by the way. You gotta wonder, too, I distinctly remember this because I was actually going out to dinner with some friends who are also Yankees fans, and we get the notification that, oh, Darwizen Hernandez replaces, I forget who was in before, it might have been Ryan Brazier, but Darwizen Hernandez comes in to face Anthony Rizzo after the pre- oh no, it was Tanner Houck, because Tanner Houck walked two men to get men on first and second, they brought in Hernandez, a lefty, to deal with Rizzo, also a lefty, and the first thing out of my mouth you could ask my friends was, uh, Hernandez doesn't have control, he's gonna load the bases somehow. <laughs> Lo and behold, the man hits Rizzo, they have to keep him in because of the three batter minimum, and he has to face Giancarlo, who feasts upon lefties like I feast upon the buffet, the buffet table. I don't know why I made that analogy. But, well, nevertheless, mean- Giancarlo hits a back-breaking, game-winning, goes on to be the game-winning Grand Slam, and Boston now has some questions to answer because now they're not only trying to fend off the Yankees, they're trying to defend their top wildcard spot, Tom. They are tied with the Yankees now. They are no longer looking back to see them. They are neck and neck. Yes, they are. And speaking of people who called stuff, go watch Joe's McFly's Twitter video that he posted on Twitter. He called the Giancarlo shot about two seconds before it happened. He's like, I swear if Giancarlo hits a bomb, and then he immediately hit a bomb, and then he went crazy. He told Alex Cora to go suck his you-know-what, and that was a hilarious video that probably has close to 10,000 likes, maybe even more. I think it had about 7,500 by the time I went to bed last night. Great video, one of the best fans in baseball. Hopefully, maybe even one day we could possibly get him on the show. But you know what? That's a future discussion 
to talk about between producer Tom and producer Tony. But at any rate, let's go down the rest of the AL East. I'm not going to talk about Baltimore. I'm going to talk about Toronto, who's two games back, 86 and 69, nice, of the AL East. I believe they are the third place uh, contender in the wild card race right now. I really should have had this pulled up on my laptop. They are. They're two games <laughs> back of Boston and the Yankees. Hopefully, again, the Yankees will be leapfrogging Boston, and then Boston can continue hurtling down towards planet Earth in the wild card standings. But then looking on to the AL Central, I'm going to breeze through this because no other team except the Chicago White Sox are going to make the playoffs. Uh, they already clinched their division. They should have probably won 100 games this year based on how their division is with Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, and Minnesota in that order playing below, well, I'm not going to say playing below expectations, but at least two of those teams are playing below expectations. Detroit, one of the best uh, rising teams of the year, and Kansas City, I think, is a little bit above expectation. I mean, you look at teams like Detroit and Minnesota, You uh, not Detroit, pardon me, Cleveland and Minnesota, you got to think they'd at least be a little bit better. Detroit, like you said, Tom, they're definitely a rising team. Kansas City exists. Kansas City is a baseball team that exists. But honestly, we could definitely keep this AL Central segment short because while the White Sox, I thought they would be a little better too. Tom, I'm with you. They have 87 wins on the season and 68 losses. Not quite nice yet. but Oh, Minnesota's nice. They, they have 69 wins. Oh, look at that. You know what? That's success, Minnesota. Successful season. Don't win another game. Do us all a favor. Actually, you know what? Win, win today. Win today so you could beat Toronto and uh, allow us to laugh at Toronto some more. Yes, please do. Um, Nevertheless, that's the AL Central. Let's keep it going, Tom. Let's talk about the AL West, because the AL West, I'm going to be transparent as all hell. I did not expect this division to turn out like it did. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think Houston would have that good of a season this year. I really like their hitting core, but I thought their pitching was a bit of a question mark. And I really am not the biggest fan of Dusty Baker at manager. I never have been. I thought he was purely just a PR move in 2020 just to get uh, the team's reputation straight, if that's if that's one way of putting it. I know players like Carlos Correa have certainly embraced the role of baseball heel, and they're obviously reveling in it. They have 91 wins. They've clinched a post, or they actually haven't clinched a postseason spot technically, but we all expect them to in the coming week. Oh, they surely will. But Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. Where did the Seattle Mariners come from? Like, if anybody, anybody out there had the Seattle Mariners at second place or any place above third at most in your preseason rankings, I will be consulting you for lottery numbers soon. Uh, But yeah, you're right, Tony. This is kind of hilarious. First of all, I would just like to put out there that my AL West winner prediction at the beginning of the year was Oakland. Um, Yeah, that. Oh, oh, mine too. Yeah, mine too. That's aged wonderfully, hasn't it? Oh, it's gone so wonderfully. The A's are now below Seattle by one game in the wild card picture. I believe Oakland's been playing better in the last week or two, um, but they're still going to have a lot of catching up to do because Seattle leapfrogged them and are only, well, they're six games back of Houston. They're not going to win the division. This is a team, Seattle, that has a minus 65 run differential. Their expected win-loss um, based on runs scored and runs allowed, is 71-84. and 84. How the hell is this team second? I guess, I mean, they're 7-3 in their last 10, so that obviously helps. But they just came out of nowhere. Ever since they're now disgraced, I can't even remember his name, like president of baseball operations or whatever, like said some Kevin Mather. About, there you go. Well, Kevin save, Mather was his name. Yeah, we'll, 
yeah, we'll save him for a uh, deep drive to left at some point in the near future, I bet. Um, <laughs> a a but, memory, a retro deep drive to left, but continue. Exactly. A retrospective on C- one of Seattle's best seasons of the, well, I was going to say the 2010s, but it's 2021. So definitely one of the best seasons of the 2020s because they don't really have much of a sample size to go against. But <laughs> to- I'm just surprised that they're 85 and 70 especially after they traded Kendall Graveman at the trade deadline. I thought that was going to be it for them because I'm like, okay, Jerry DePoto's throwing in the towel. Obviously, he doesn't want to win right now, even though they were one of the hottest teams in baseball. They've continued that stretch all the way throughout the rest of the season so far, Tony. And when you look up and down their lineup, I'm honest to God, when you were talking, I was looking up and down their baseball reference page trying to find a player to highlight that I... A, haven't talked about extensively before, like, say, a Kyle Seeger type, who, by the way, might be having one of the worst 30 home run seasons ever. He has a sub-300 OBP, but topic for another day. I This is a Seattle Mariners team that what I find interesting about is there isn't that one superstar. They're honestly like a diet raise. They don't have one guy who's going to get 70 million MVP votes. They don't have that one pitcher who's going to get, you know, Cy Young favoritism. But they do enough to get by. When they need to click, they click. Which, speaking as someone who has no affiliation with the Seattle Mariners, as much as I love making fun of the Mariners and the whole longest drought, longest active drought in all major North American sports thing, the Mariners were always a team growing up that you always just disregarded. They weren't going to do anything. They're just going to finish either just barely above 500 and don't make the playoffs or absolutely bottom out and just clean out the division basement. This is honestly kind of a welcome sight if you ask someone who has no fan bias for or against the Mariners, a team that was always just on the raw end, the wrong end of the stick, just bad luck year in and year out. They were always the athletics bitch. They can never top Houston in the last decade. And now they finally, like I said, in, uh, around the horn, they're playing meaningful September baseball for the first time seemingly in forever. I personally don't remember the last time we were this deep in September and still talking about the Mariners in a serious context. Not since like the 2010s when they had like Fernando Rodney on the team and he was doing his thing. Kyle Seeger wasn't 33 at that rate. He was probably in his lower 20s at that rate. I can't do math, so obviously I hope I'm right. When they, um, when they still had Robinson Cano playing at a respectable clip. Yes, he made a questionable move by going to Seattle where he knew his career was going to die, but he took the money and ran. Uh, so good for him and his uh, steroid um, uh, suspensions. But, like, again, I'm going up and down the sign-up on Baseball Reference too. Their best player, I would say, this year has been Ty France, a surprise um, hit who actually had a good 2020. You can go look up his numbers. This year, um, he's batting 291, 365 OBP. Definitely the best on the team from what I can tell. Um, 18 home runs, 68 RBIs, that's not going to jump out at you. But again, keep in mind, this team does not score many runs. So that's actually a pretty respectable numbers that he's putting up. And then I'm looking at the pitching, and I'm like, how the hell is this team winning? Because all but Chris Flexen, by the way, former New York Met who sucked there and has panned out in Seattle, another former player that uh, doesn't work out in New York but works somewhere else. 356 ERA, 118 strikeouts. This is in 29 games started, by the way. He has a 13-6 and record. He's been the ace of Seattle this year, and their bullpen has actually been pretty solid for the most part with the likes of Drew Steckenrider, Paul Seawald. I'm not going to talk about Rafael Montero, 7-2-7 ERA. I'll mention Casey Sadler um, with his 0.76 ERA. 
again, not a lot of stuff that's really going to jump out at you, not the big-name player. But I loved your comparison to the diet Tampa Bay Rays. I think, again, if we're going to put stuff on a t-shirt, Tony, last week I said Salvador Perez ages like fine cheese like a f***ing moron. I think the Seattle Mariners <laughs> are a diet Tampa Bay Rays would be the next slogan we put on a t-shirt. Well, perfect. We'll rack those up. We'll We'll get them for sale. And you know what? We'll put them on social. Check us out on social. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, at uh, the Diamond Duo podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duo pod on Twitter. Uh, maybe we'll make some designs on Canva and uh, be like, hey, yes. would you buy these if we uh, made them? But at any rate, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Seattle's going really well, but we got to move on because we've got other things, bigger fish to fry. Um, yeah, so Seattle, Oakland, Angels, Texas, they follow Houston in that order in the AL West. Going to the NL East, we've got Atlanta and Philly at the one and two. Philly, again, a game and a half back of Atlanta. Again, they play this week, so that's going to be interesting. The Mets, then the Marlins, and then the Nationals proceed um, there. I was going to make a joke about the Mets, but at this rate, I can't even do that because of how pitiful they are. But hey, at least based on their run differential and run scored, they at least have hit their expected win-loss total exactly on the dot at 73-81. and 81. So at least that's an accomplishment that the Mets can check off the record book this year. Oh, you see, Mets fans, this, series was, this season wasn't a total loss. You didn't technically underperform. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I swear to God, Tom, looking at this NL, this NL East... It's it's strange because this is about how I imagined it shaping up, but it still surprises me. I don't know if it's just the degree that not there's no powerhouse in this division, like the Braves aren't what they used to be. Obviously, the absence of Ronald Acuna has helped to that. The Phillies are not a steaming dumpster fire. They're not great. I mean, I will say, ever since I predicted them going to the wild card in episode two, I believe it was, They've not played bad baseball. They really haven't. They have a they have a five game win streak running right now. They're eight and two in their last ten, and we've talked about Bryce Harper more than we've talked about almost any other player on this show. He's probably the NL MVP front runner right now, and even though he's not the front runner anymore, Zach Wheeler is most certainly landing himself in the top five of Cy Young voting. Oh, certainly. Yeah, this Phillies team led by the helm of Joe Girardi, who I've had questions about if he still managed the Yankees team, would they do any better? than they have been all season long up until this point, um, comparing him to Aaron Boone. But at any rate, Philly is doing really well. Now, I want to take a look at who's scheduled to pitch for Atlanta and Philly uh, going into this series. Tony, while you're at it, if you can pull up baseball reference and tell me who has the better um, record against their opponent this year between um, Atlanta and Philly, that would be fantastic. I pulled up the wrong schedule, so I'm not going to be able to see who's starting well, these games here. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna tell you, Tom. I actually beat you to it. And if you look at their head-to-head matchups, it's actually Philly that has the upper hand against Atlanta. They are nine and seven, good for a five sixty-three uh, win-loss percentage. They have scored actually. This I actually find very interesting. They've scored seventy, uh, sixty-four runs, but they've allowed seventy-five. So they, this is basic, this is a Seattle Mariners type sample size. They have a negative run differential, but they still end up coming out on top on the overall series because you think of guys, I remember they played one game. They played one game. I think it was in July. It was sometime in the middle of the season. And this, this particular matchup between the Braves and the Phillies has the chance to allow for some absolute slugfest and some of the best entertainment you could find in that division. 
albeit you are not finding much competition in that division. I mean, you have the Marlins and the Nationals sharing it as well. And honestly, I'd group the Mets in there too at this point. So you have the only two teams in the division going at it, but they have all the more reason to hate each other. Like you said earlier, Tom, the Phillies are are only a game and a half out. That's a lot closer than I think anybody pegged them to be at the beginning of the year, especially with the state of that bullpen. Certainly so. I, and listen, two, like two weeks ago when you said that the Phillies are going to make the playoffs, I laughed in your face over Discord. I was like, there is no effing way that that's going to happen. And I am eating my words as every day progresses. I did pull up the um, who's going to pitch in that series. So Philly is going to have their Best three pitchers going, or actually not best three because Ranger Suarez will not be throwing for them. But they do have three solid um, starters going up against Atlanta. They've got Zach Wheeler in game one, Aaron Nola game two, Kyle Gibson game three. And Wheeler will be going up against Ian Anderson, having a great year for the Braves. Game two will be Aaron Nola against Charlie Morton. And then Max Fried and Kyle Gibson are set to square off on uh, September 30th, this upcoming Thursday. And tickets are as low as $6, apparently. So, I mean, hell, if I were going to Atlanta anytime soon, I'd be copping some tickets to uh, a Phillies and Braves game that will hopefully bring some fireworks. Some playoff baseball deep into September? I'd pay well more than that for those tickets. You kidding me? Especially where they're going to be. Are they? Oh, no, they are going to be in Atlanta. Hey, Truist Park is still beautiful. I tell you what, though, Tom, it's kind of interesting. You said, oh, they have three great options. They have three great arms going up against Atlanta. Aaron Nola is the weak link of those three, which if you told anybody that at the beginning of the year, like just like you did when I told you that the Phillies might make the postseason, they would have laughed in your face saying that, oh yeah, Zach Wheeler's going to outperform Aaron Nola. Or yeah, sure, Kyle Gibson, who led all of MLB in losses last year, is going to outperform Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola's not even been himself, and he's still going to be one of the more reliable options for Philly down the road. He doesn't have to rely on being the ace. That's Zach Wheeler's job now. Honestly, some of the burden has fallen on guys like Kyle Gibson, like Ranger Suarez. There's a sentence I never thought I'd say. But if you're the Phillies right now, you got to think you're in the driver's seat. I mean, the Braves barely are squeaking out wins against the Padres, which, trust me, we will laugh at the Padres soon. And the Phillies are making quick work of damn near everybody they're playing. And outside of the Braves, the Phillies are playing Miami to close out the year. Even if they don't do the greatest against Atlanta, they still have a bonafide doormat to close out the year with and potentially gain some ground while the Braves are busy playing the Mets, who, granted, can't beat anybody in their own division, but I think the ball is in Philly's court right here. Even though Atlanta still holds the tangible lead, the momentum here could swing at any moment, and I think this is going to be a great last stretch to watch. Absolutely, you're right. If you count momentum at all going into games, Philly has the advantage at the NL East right now. Again, they're a game and a half back, um, but of course, time will tell, and by next week, we should have a deciding winner of who will take home the NL East crown. But moving on to the NL Central, that crown has been pretty much locked up um, for a while now. Although it's not officially locked up, if the Met, if the uh, rather the Brewers beat the Mets today, then I believe they do clinch that title. Uh, they're ninety-three and sixty-two at the moment. They're four and six in their last ten. Not good going into the postseason, but they've got a great pitching staff led by Corbin Burns, who could probably win the Cy Young, and I think he's the front. Well, actually, he might not be the front runner. Walker Buehler might have things to say about that, but they've got Corbin Burns leading the helm. They've got an above expectation lineup this year, minus Christian Yelich, who hasn't been 
above expectations. And now we can start laughing at some teams. I'm not going to men- uh, I'll mention Pittsburgh and Chicago um, for about 10 more seconds. Uh, Chicago, 67 and 88, definitely not making the postseason since they threw in the white towel. Pittsburgh, uh, they had no shot even before the season began. Um, if they want to do make a comeback effort, though, they're 30 ha- they're 35 and a half games back. So good luck catching the Brewers at this point in the season. Um, before we laugh at the Reds, um, let's talk about St. Louis because they're the best team in baseball right now with a 15 game winning streak. I mean, who would have thought that the Cardinals would have made this type of push just about a month ago? I Tom, you know what I find kind of funny and kind of sad at the same time. I'm on the MLB app right now, and I clicked, if you go into standings right now, there's another section for postseason, and it just shows the bracket for the potential postseason matchups. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with the Cardinals all but locking down that second wild card spot, their logo is on that bracket, obviously. They had them playing the Dodgers in the wild card round, and uh, uh, it's very, very familiar. It's almost like, like Tom, you've seen, you've seen Endgame, right? Avengers Endgame? Oh yeah, of course. You know the line where Thanos, at the very end of the movie, I won't spoil anything, but when Thanos just says, I am inevitable, that's what the St. Louis Cardinals feel like to me (laughs) right now, because it seems like every single year, the term Cardinals devil magic has been thrown around like crazy the past few years. I think this year is, might be the crown jewel of Cardinals devil magic, that mantra. Because seriously, it's not like the Cardinals were a bad team per se for most of the year. They were certainly underperforming towards the middle of the middle of the season. But to see this kind of production, I Paul Goldschmidt is he's not gonna win the MVP, but he's playing like an MVP right now. He's eclipsed 30 home runs again. Noah Arenado's driven in a hundred runs. You have guys like Tommy Edmond anchoring the top half of the lineup, Lars Newt Barr. I just wanted to say that name, anchoring the bottom of the lineup. And their pitching staff, which I fully anticipated to prolapse and just bottom out, completely die by the end of the year, especially with their ace, uh, Jack Flaherty, coming back and being awful since that injury. It's really a sad sight to see. Their pitching staff has not been terrible. Adam Wainwright is still pitching like he's 10 years younger. I, you got guys like Jake Woodford up from the minors who's pitching great. John Lester and Jay Happ have somehow not sucked with the Cardinals. I, I want to offer some analytical insight to this as to why such a drastic turnaround is even feasible. But I genuinely want to say it's Cardinals devil magic. I, how else can you explain that, Tom? 15-game winning streak. That's the longest in their history by a long shot. The last time they even won 14 was back in the 30s. Holy shit. It's insane. It's insane. I'm happy for the Cardinals. They're pay- they're playing genuinely fun baseball, and it also really helps to have the Cardinals closer and on your fantasy team. I'm sorry, I'm going to be pimping my fantasy team all episode <laughs> because the final because the finals are today. Knockity knock on wood. Now nah, fl- um, flex on them, Tony. You're in the championship, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm in the championship. I don't want to jinx anything. I was originally going to have that as the closer, just praising my team. If they win, I'll make that my closer for next week. But anyway. We digress. The Cincinnati Reds. Oh, Jesus Christ. They're live against Washington right now. If they are losing this game, I will laugh my ass off, Tony. I think they're tied. I think it's still scoreless. Uh, Yeah, it's scoreless bottom four. Tyler Maley is pitching for them. Oh, Tyler Maley, breaking news, just got his 200th strikeout on the year. Congratulations to him. He's one of their pitchers that hasn't been total garbage all year. And hey, speaking of pitchers that haven't been total garbage all year, 
in case you weren't convinced that the Reds are done, their best player all year, by war, I'm not even kidding, Wade Miley, who has six war on the year, is very likely done for the year. He landed on the 10-day IL this week, and he hadn't pit- he hasn't pitched like himself uh, in his previous two starts. He spoke about it in a post-game presser, expressing how frustrating it was after such a great season for him. And now the Reds have to rely even more on inconsistent guys like Luis Castillo or Tyler Maley. So if you still had any hope for the Cincinnati Reds, I'd throw it out the window. All I want to say about the Reds is that over the past month of September, they've seen a lot of red on their schedule from how many losses they've picked up. Um, I just want to remind people of their shame and go over who they've played so far in September by full series. I'm not counting the two games against the Cardinals on September 1st and how they've ended up here. So keep in mind, at that rate, they had a 72-64 and 64 record. Just keep that in mind. And now they're 80 and 75. So do the math and figure out how many they've won and lost since then. They've played three against Detroit. They lost two of those games. They played three against the Cubs. They lost two of those games. They played three against St. Louis. They lost two of those games. They played the Pirates. They lost two of those games in three in the three-game series. They played the Dodgers. No surprise, they lost two games in that series. They played Pittsburgh again. Guess what? They went one and one. One of their games got postponed. That's on Monday, September 27th now. So they got a mulligan right there. And now here they are against the Nationals. They have a four-game series against them. They've won two or three right now, but of course they could split it. And then they can officially say if they split that, they haven't won a series all September, even though they had by far the easiest schedule in the MLB. I will echo that until the end of the season about the Reds and how disappointing they've been. Tom, I we fell into this trap. We fell into this trap handily. We put this team in brick by brick, I think two times in a row because of this paper-thin schedule. I think what we failed to acknowledge is the team's the team's likelihood to prolapse. Because when you look at these hitters, a good number of them are streaky as all hell. Where did Joey Votto go? Nick Castellanos just continues to hit home runs at inopportune times. Eugenio Suarez is still far removed from that season. I believe it was 2019 where he was second in all of MLB in home runs. We should have looked far less at this schedule because as easy as it is, when you are a team that is as likely to prolapse as the Reds are, when you are not built like a champion, but it, but are built with a foundation of sand and nothing else, you're not going to succeed. The Reds are not a good team and this last month has proved it. Anybody who they fooled and that somehow still was convinced they were a good team after last year's postseason when they didn't score a run. You better be convinced now, because this team is a bunch of frauds. To be fair, though, they had the offense to pull it off. Like, I figured they would have at least done something better, but you know what? I'm going to save my reservations for the San Diego Padres, because we got to get to the NL West before we move on. Uh, the uh, Giants and Dodgers, yeah, they both are a closer spot in the postseason, San Francisco has 101 wins. The Dodgers surely will pick up number 100 pretty soon. They're playing some, um, Arizona tonight, um, so they could probably win it there. Then the Rockies and then the Arizona Diamondbacks make up the bottom two of the schedule. And then, oh, look who's sitting third in the NL West. It's the San Diego Padres. You know, back in April, we would have thought, hey, maybe they would have at least had 85 wins at this point. That's at least reasonable. They have, They had one of the best rotations on paper in the MLB, and then everybody got hurt, and then they still had a reasonable squad, but somehow 
they just went below expectations. And dear God, Tony, they're one game away from being 500. Oh, dear Jesus you Christ. You know, I was actually going to harp on that so much because I think that was the moment where it hit me how much of a disappointment this team is for this season is for Padres fans because we can make jokes about 2015 and Preller Palooza, make all the jokes we want about Matt Kemp and Will Middlebrooks and Craig Kimbrell. We could go on about that for hours. But in all actuality, if I'm a Padres fan, this season hurts more. Because this wasn't just everyone crowning you the champions of the offseason. This was everybody crowning them the next dynasty in baseball. You have, oh my god, you have Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, his K-rate is disgusting and his fielding is overhyped to all hell. But, and you have Manny Machado, who could be an MVP candidate at, at any given moment. Rookie of the Year finalist, Jake Cronenworth. Yeah, how could you lose? Well, how about you lose from you Darvish forgetting how to pitch and Blake Snell just not showing up till the second half. Oh, he's injured again, by the way. Ryan <laughs> Weathers just not performing like he is advertised to coming out of the minor leagues. Mark Melanson picking the worst possible time to slump. He still leads all of MLB in saves, but... Back half of 2021 has not been going Mark Melanson's way. Don't let the counting stats fool you. And just knowing that they're only one game above being below 500. And Tom, to reiterate what I said in Around the Horn, they're going up against the Dodgers again. And if you think it gets easier, they get the goddamn Giants after them. If the San Diego Padres finish this season below 500, I say we devote the entirety of next episode to making fun of them. Which... That's obviously not going to happen because that's not good content. <laughs> It'd be funny content for me and Tom because we get to, you know, we get to shit on a team that was hyped to high heaven only to fall so gracious or gracelessly. How about say that? This has not been a graceful fall. This has been a fall perpetuated by underperformance and dugout, uh, dugout bickering. And it will most certainly cost Jace Tingler his job. Oh, yeah, because a lot of people were even saying he may have been the wrong person for the job originally, even back in 2020 when his team went to slam Diego, and then he called out Fernando Tatis Jr. for celebrating his Grand Slam when the f***ing Rangers of all teams were bitching about it. People were questioning Jace Tingler's job then. Well, bippity-boppity-boo, now we're in September, and people are going to be calling for his head now, and he, he probably won't have a job next season. Luis Rojas probably won't have a job next season. We can go over managers that probably won't have a job next season in a later episode, but Jace Tingler, oh boy, if he's back next season, then the Padres better be damn near 90 wins. Otherwise, that won't be good. Real quickly, I would like to throw out a tweet by Urinating Tree, who Tony has mentioned a couple times, that he sent out 14 hours ago, um, at least at the time of this recording, and his quote is, Who knew that the San Diego Padres had such a collapse in them, with all the talent and expectations they had? question mark that's quite impressive it's almost worthy of this banner signifying their incredible achievement biggest accomplishment the Padres have had in over 20 years that banner he made said San Diego Padres off-season champions 2015 and 2021 the only banner that can fly over Petco Park for probably the next many many years if the Padres continue to waste their off-season acquisitions like they have already. I think I'm done the, with the Padres. The one, the last thing I will say about the Padres, and it'll be a positive thing for once, is that much like teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning and their old pals in the LA Dodgers, what always follows tragedy is triumph. The Dodgers got 
their cheeks clapped by the Washington Nationals in 2019 somehow, they go on to win the World Series the next year. The Tampa Bay Lightning gets swept by a team in the Columbus Blue Jackets that never before won a playoff season, and now they've won two straight cups. A little hockey content for you. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, unfortunately, indeed. Unfortunately, they have. But they're, they're, still. I'm not going to say, but go on, Tony. <laughs> Nevertheless, if the Padres want to prove themselves as, well, not frauds, if I were them, gut the internal brass, get rid of Tingler, possibly get rid of Preller, reassure the core, make sure this dynamic, this team that they built, has a chance to work. Come next year, if stuff still isn't clicking, and they can't rise to the adversity for, what is this, like the eighth straight time it feels like, that's when you hit the panic button. This has been a terrible season. I'm not going to deny that. I will make fun of them till the the cows come home. But I don't think they're beyond saving. I'm not going to get my hopes up, because that's what I did at the beginning of the season, but I will say that good teams rise to the challenge. There is always, what's the saying? The darkness comes before the dawn. That's what I'll say for the Padres, but I'm not holding my breath. See, that that's very enlightening what you just said there, Tony. And you're absolutely right. They have the pieces to get it together. They just need to figure their shit out before next season. Um, anyway, let's look at the playoff update. That's really the only headline we had this week. Um, we could have talked about some more smaller things to happen, but we have a fun segment planned out in just about five minutes from now, or maybe a little bit less. I don't know how long this is going to run, because I have a trivia question for Mr. Tony Puglisi. Tony, are you ready to hopefully be stumped yet again? I am ready to not get stumped. I am ready to not get stumped. Hit me with it. Excellent. Well, I really hope you didn't look into the history of this in as extensive as you did, because I know you mentioned it in Around the Horn, and I wasn't paying attention to what you were saying at that rate. So this might be a trivia question that you already know the answer to. So you mentioned it with Baltimore. Cedric Mullins, the first ever Oriole to join the 30 for 30 club. Dude's having a top five MVP season on the Baltimore Orioles. No one would have expected this to come. Cedric Mullins having a fantastic year. Again, the 30 for 30 club. But Tony, he's the first ever Oriole to join the 30 for 30 club. I'm looking for the last two players in MLB history <laughs> to reach the 30 for 30 club. I really hope you didn't mention this in your thing. You're laughing. Um, so I think you know the answer. <laughs> Tell me the last two to do it because they did it in the same season. Oh, Tom, 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 Tom. What you failed to anticipate was that I may have written this stat down in my around the horn ah! breakdown. I just didn't get to it for time re- for time constraints. God damn it. Just uh, put me out of my misery. I oh man, but dude, this is this is really a tough one. I don't know. It could have been Mookie Betts, could have been Cody Bellinger. Oh man, this is this is hard. I'll stop being you're dragging, an asshole. You're dragging it out. You're making me feel <laughs> resentment for you. I hey, let this be fuel. Stump me next week. Oh, I surely will. I'll, I'll give you, know you a hundred year trivia next week, like I should have done with that stupid thing i mentioned earlier and around the oh. uh, around the horn just just throw Beautiful. it out there for the, just throw it out there the you answer. know what i'll one up you i'll do you one better the last american league player to do it was jose ramirez back in 2018 i believe but the answer you're looking for the last two players to do it they did it in the same year they both exist in the national league were christian yelich and ronald acuna jr they both did it in 2019 it was the year acuna coming off his Rookie of the Year winning campaign and Christian Yelich coming off his MVP winning campaign. Probably 
probably should have won it again in 2019 with a year like that, but he went down with an injury. It went to Cody Bellinger, and he's just lived up to that moniker so well. So my answer is Christian Yelich and Ronald Acuna. <sighs> well, unfortunately, you're right. Um, you, 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 hate, you hate me yet? Now, did you write down their exact totals? Because I will spring that on you if you didn't. How many home runs and how many stolen bases did they each have? I'll make that part Ooh. two if you didn't write that down. Okay, They're make that stumped. part two. Yeah, make we'll stop you two. with that one. You get the full credit for answering the trivia question right. So congratulations for uh, me not making a tougher trivia question. But give me the exact totals of Acuna and Yelich. So I remember, I forget which one it was. I think it was Yelich. Yelich, I think, just got 30 steals, like right at the end of the year. So I'm going to say 30 steals for Yelich. He had a lot of home runs. Crap. Because I got to think, this isn't 2021 Yelich. This is Christian Yelich when he was an MVP. I don't know if he hit 40. I'm going to kick myself if he did, but I'm going to go out and say 39 and 30 for Christian Yelich. And for Acuna, I, I'm pretty sure he hit 40. This is when he was really starting to emerge as a generational type talent. I'm going to say uh, 42 home runs and 35 steals for Acuna. That's literally just shot in the dark. I'm not going to cheat because why would I cheat? <laughs> so those are my answers. Well, you got Yelch's stolen bases right. He got 30. He hit 44 home yes. runs, though. Oh, my God. Okay, had no idea he eclipsed 40. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, you, yeah, congratulations. You play yourself there. You can shoot yourself in the foot now. Proceed to do so whenever you want. I, um, I got the question right. I don't care. Yeah, the actual one. <laughs> uh, you were just off with Acuna. He hit 41 home runs, and he had 37 stolen bases. Oh, I was actually way closer with that than I thought, so eh, I'll take that. And I'll also take getting the actual question right, so. <sighs> well, unfortunately, <laughs> now I know I'm going to have to make the difficulty. I'm going to have to ramp it up because you've gotten two in a row, right, with Ann Keel, and now the 30 for 31. I should have looked at the rundown and saw you at Baltimore and be like, you know what, that's probably too easy. He probably <laughs> knew that already. I also probably should have been paying attention to Around the Horn, although you just mentioned that he didn't, that you didn't say that in Around the Horn. So whatever. Yeah. At any rate, we've got a fun segment coming up next. That's it for trivia. Um, so I'm going to introduce this just because I have something written down on this. So, do oh, you, so ladies and gentlemen, and everybody listening, if you recall earlier this week, Connor McGregor threw out a first pitch at Wrigley field that just might be one of the worst first pitches in MLB history. He may call himself the notorious MMA on social media, but there's a reason he's not called notorious MLB. And that's because he threw it probably about 15 feet into like damn near the third base dugout. I mean, that ball went probably in between the batters, the batter's circle on deck and, um, and home plate, but God, that was terrible. So we figured let's do a fun segment and this, our results will be on social media and days to come. So please give us your rankings of what we are going to do right now. We have created a tier list on first pitches in MLB history. This is going to be the tier list of all tier lists. And by the way, a quick spoiler alert for the offseason. We're probably going to be doing a lot of tier lists on many different fun subjects in the offseason. So stay tuned for that. But oh boy, should this be something. And we've got 10 different contenders on this list right now tony do you, would you just like to announce them all since i've prolonged this intro more than i should have while i pull up the tier list? i 
I would love to announce our contestants. Now, mind you, we have 10 first pitches. There have been more than 10 noteworthy first pitches. Tom and I actually drummed up 20. So maybe down the line you'll see a first pitches tier list part two. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it. But introducing our contenders, I almost said combatants. <laughs> introducing our contenders for today's tier list, we have the aforementioned Connor McGregor first pitch. We have 50 Cent's first pitch from City Field. Uh, we have the first pitch Simone Biles threw out for the Houston Astros. We have George W. Bush's first pitch uh, at Yankee Stadium after 9-11. We have, we probably should have looked up this woman's title, but we have the White Sox lady who hit the cameraman's camera with the ball. We have the, I believe it was the Cincinnati Reds Tyrannosaurus Rex, which, yes, I'm serious. I said Tyrannosaurus Rex. We also have a camera guy at Fenway Park getting hit in the balls with the ball. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one to deep dive. We have Anthony Fauci, his first pitch uh, to open up the 2020 season. We have Sister Mary Jo, the Pirates nun, or sister rather, who threw out the first pitch. And we have Sa uh, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson throwing out his first pitch. So, to be fair, we have a tier list up. I'll go through the rankings right now. We have, of course, your standard S, A, B, C, D, F tiers. We also have one reserved for the worst and one for the best. But we haven't really gone over, I don't think we've really worked out the ground rules of what's going to qualify the best and what's going to qualify the worst. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and we can discuss this just right now and throw it in the recording for whatever. Um, I would say the worst, Tony, obviously has to be the ones that just make you laugh and be like, Jesus Christ, this person has never touched a baseball in a the life. They should go touch some grass in real life. And then the best, obviously, has got to be probably either the most memorable or probably the, just the one that got right down the middle the most. We could definitely rank it in terms of notoriety, in terms of which one people are going are more likely to remember. We could, or we could just straight base it off we could incorporate accuracy in there as well. Like you could remember 50 cents, but you could also not remember for the right reasons, if that makes a difference. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we're just going to kind of go through the tier list and we are going to figure it out. Now, something I also done, again, we originally had 20 teams. There probably will be a part two to this at some point. If Tony didn't say that already, I'm really not paying attention today for whatever reason. Um, nice. Um, but at any rate, let's just get it started and we're going to figure out where to rank these. Tony, let's start by ranking them in a specific tier that we'll both agree on, and then we'll put one in the best and one in the worst at the end. How does that sound? I think that sounds perfect. I think that sounds perfect. So let's say we get this kicked off. Let's say, let's save McGregor for last, because that was the most recent. Where, let's start with, um... Where do we start with? Hmm. <laughs> well, hang on. How about this? We have, since we want to do McGregor last, we have the sheet pulled up in front of us. McGregor's at the top. Let's go from the bottom up. Okay, let's do that. So the first one we have listed in that case, it's actually the reverse, uh, the reverse order I listed them in. So that would mean Russell Wilson's first. Excellent. So, of course, Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Se Seattle Seahawks. But you also got to keep in mind, he played baseball and I believe was drafted by um into baseball by the rangers and then i think the yankees have his rights technically 
right now. So this is a guy with baseball experience. And if you go back and watch these first pitches, who knows, maybe we'll even throw a compilation of these first pitches up on a video to accompany the graphic. That'd probably be a smart idea to do. Um, but at any rate, if you look back on it, Russell Wilson threw that thing with a lot of fire, and I think he threw a two-seamer because that thing got a lot of movement, if I'm not mistaken, from the center of the home plate all the way toward the right-handed batter's box. I'm pretty sure that was a strike, and that was probably one of the better first pitches I've seen in terms of accuracy, but in terms of the pitch itself, it's probably one of the most unique just by how well he threw that. I mean, if you go back and watch the clip, Wilson himself calls it a strike. He threw his right arm up like an umpire would to denote like, yeah, no, I just threw that. That was a strike. And if we were judging this purely by the quality of the pitch itself, I think Wilson's might straight up go in the best. But if we're ranking other factors like memorability, obviously the individual's personality himself, Wilson himself, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, it's kind of tough to rank this one because I want to put this one higher up but it's not one of the first, like, when you think first pitch, I don't immediately go, oh, Russell Wilson, definitely his. Yeah. So, but ju- just because the pitch is so good, I know you wanted to put it in the best. I don't think it's going to be quite I, there. No, 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 no. Of how, I was saying if but, we were ranking just on the quality of the pitch, it would go oh, in the best. Yeah, uh, of, the, of the quality, it would definitely be the best. I think this is worthy of the A tier, just because of how great hmm. the first pitch was compared to the others i'm going to drag that there right now but do you have any other disagreements again keep in mind we're going s through f right now i was gonna say b just because not necessarily because the pitch itself is flawed just because i'm looking at some of the competition and (laughs) i'm sorry i look up and i immediately see camera guy that got hit in the balls that's actually how we've denoted this individual (laughs) by the way and i think it's gonna have steep competition i'm fine keeping it an a for now but i might pick it to have it move down to b just just in terms of it might lose points for memorability. Okay, we'll, we'll keep it at A right now because I don't feel like moving my mouse like a couple of inches. Um, but at any rate, so Russell Wilson, we're starting that on the A tier. Who's next, Tony? So next up would be Sister Mary Jo. Ah, uh, fan favorite, the Sister re- Mary Jo. The religious sister who went to PNC Park and not only threw the first pitch, threw it with some flair. I mean, Tom, you were talking about Russell Wilson who has baseball experience, Sister Mary Jo, I, I mean, who knows? She probably played softball in her day. She is. She was quite possibly a very talented athlete. And it's clearly still is a very talented athlete because this woman, this religious sister, rolled the ball down her arm, extended her arm so that the ball would launch back into the palm of her hand, then threw what really looked like an amazing pitch and walked strutted off the mound like a boss tom i'm telling you right now i don't know when we were drumming up first pitch ideas i don't know how i didn't immediately think of sister mary joe this is one of my favorite first pitches of all time yes and by the way i think we've said it was in pittsburgh it was actually at chicago white Sox um that this was at at least through a quick google search you may have done one at pnc park too it was so notori- it was so notable, I think, at the moment, and that definitely swept social media by storm because Sister Mary Jo is a badass bitch, if I may say that, <laughs> with um no religious um consideration taken into effect, but she's a badass bitch for the way she threw that. I mean Whew threw it great. She did a little arm flick trick. I mean, she may have done that out of the ballparks because maybe other people wanted to draw in attendance and they knew Sister Mary Joe's coming into town. That should sell out your ballpark right there. Those 10 seconds are worth the price of admission. 
alone, even to a Yankee Stadium playoff game, I would pay full price just to see Sister Mary Joe throw out the first pitch. I mean, we were talking, I was talking about, you know, Russell Wilson's pitch was great, but he's still, you know, he's Russell Wilson, he's the QB of the Seattle Seahawks, but he's not the first one I go to. Sister Mary Joe, because of who she is, is one of the first ones I think of. When you think of religious sister, you don't think of burgeoning baseball athleticism. I think she's literally the perfect storm of everything you look for in a memorable first pitch. Obviously, if she airmailed it, that would I feel like that'd be less memorable because you figure, oh, she's a religious sister or a nun. They're not supposed to be good at baseball. But the fact that she threw a good pitch, I... I could picture it in my head right now. It, was, it wasn't like Russell Wilson pinpoint, but it was still, it was over the plate. She threw it really close to the plate. For that reason, I think she belongs in S. I was going to agree with you. That's an S tier. S for Sister Mary Jo. Absolutely. Yes, Sister Mary Jo in the S tier. Russell Wilson still in the A tier may creep down a little bit. Two down, eight to go. All right, so next up, that'll bring up Anthony Fauci to the plate, or to the mound, I suppose. Now, let, let's prelude this by saying, because again, we're getting, because people love to throw around Anthony Fauci with politics. We are not talking politics on the mm-hmm. show ever. Fuck politics and fuck everything associated with Amen. it. Amen. So we are not thinking politics and taking that into consideration whatsoever. We are judging it based on the first pitch and its notoriety alone. But this was the first pitch of the year in the 2020 season, and I think it kind of perfectly encapsulated what the 2020 season was like, and it was a disaster because it was a pandemic-shortened season because two sides couldn't agree to a deal of how many games to play. (laughs) Yeah, if you want a perfect microcosm of the league and players' associations' discussions, just look at Fauci's first pitch. I mean, he walks up to the mound with his little Washington Nationals mask on, all like four foot one of him, and he hurls the ball. I, I don't even remember where it went. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think he airmailed it straight down, honestly, near where McGregor might have thrown it, just straight into, like, the fifth row. Didn't even clip a little bit of the plate. And <laughs> I, th- I think his I think his hit the ground, and it rolled, like, pretty much near where McGregor threw it. I think you're right, though. That's, that's about right. I just remember being a travesty of a pitch. And what I remember about this, and I kind of alluded to this briefly with Tom before the show, I watched this live with my girlfriend and my mom, the first thing out of my mouth and the first thing i posted on twitter i'm very proud of this was man that throw really socially distanced itself from the catcher's mitt oh cue cue laugh track cue laugh track it's okay to laugh (laughs) god damn i so you didn't tell you didn't tell me that exactly (laughs) this is the first time i hear it i swear to god i wanted to surprise you with it i wanted a genuine reaction for the podcast and like like normally i don't think this first pitch is all too much like other than that other than it's a ironic perfect example of how 2020 as a whole went but just because of that joke i want to stick it somewhere not like somewhere not terrible like it's not f tier well <laughs> i was actually gonna put f tier for fauci f for fauci <laughs> but you know, you know? <laughs> wait I'm, i might be on board with that now <laughs> let's let's put it at the c tier for right now because we can always move exactly it later. um because of notoriety reasons alone it was a bad pitch so it's probably going to move down it's certainly not the worst first pitch but damn it's up it's there absolutely up there oh, and there. speaking of inaccurate throws tom a certain camera guy got the wrong end of god, god 
got to the wrong end of a throw in Fenway Park. I This was a throw I wasn't actually familiar with. Tom sent me the video before we started recording. And so, Tom, why don't you describe, because you know who I'm talking about. Please describe this, this cameraman's woes. So I don't remember who threw out this pitch. It was in Boston. The dude airmailed it to the right. It went into the right hand of Barrett's box. The poor camera guy is standing there perfectly broadcasting this moment when all of a sudden that pitch hit him straight in his balls, right below the groin. Right on the groin. You couldn't have hit a perfect target. He had, he killed two birds with one stone <laughs> right there. Two, with that pitch. Two balls with one stone. <laughs> <laughs> two balls with one pitch. Let's leave it with that. I, I mean... <laughs> I, I still laugh at this one every time I see it. Oh my god. It, I mean, it, it's probably got to be one of the most noteworthy ones just because of how terrible it was. And then if he didn't hit the guy in the balls, it wouldn't be notoriety. But oh my god, I just can't stop laughing when I think about it. It's this. both the startling lack of accuracy, but pinpoint accuracy, in that you miss the big brown mitt directly in front of you, but you somehow clock the other guy in his nads like seven feet behind home plate. I but my favorite part about this clip, and I need to mention this. Two things. One, it's the happy, cheery baseball <laughs> organ jingle right after someone throws out the first pitch, coincided with the guy keeling over. Like, you see this horrific <laughs> scene of some guy just getting all the wind knocked out of him over. You know, do 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 It's amazing. Please watch that video for yourself. It's it's such perfect irony. And the immediate jump cut to the poor fellow who threw the pitch, getting an immediate look of... Oh, oh my god. I just saw where that hit him. Like, he gave the the perfect, like, oh, sh face. <laughs> to quote, like, to <laughs> well, quote you know John Boy, oh god, I got nuts. That could have been me. It's that sympathy that all guys have whenever they see someone getting hit in the balls. <laughs> you just have that knee-jerk reaction. I was going to say exactly. something I, I completely forgot about. Or, you know, I was going to say, this is why, kids, this is why you always wear a cup on the baseball field, because you're... You never know when something like this is going to happen to you. That's just a lesson. Always wear a cup on the baseball field. Oh, my God. I mean, whether missed... you're a player or a cameraman. Yeah. I mean, he missed his target, but technically he hit two targets. So I'm temp. This is a bad pitch, but I'm tempted to put it in the B tier. B for balls, by the way. Um, of course. I want to put it in the B tier just because of how off target, but on target he was with this pitch. I, I'm perfectly fine with that. If he just, like, threw it up and it hit the netting behind home plate, this is not a memorable first pitch. It probably goes into F. Yeah. But the fact that he hit the target, or I suppose targets that he did, <laughs> B tier is perfectly fine for me. <laughs> Boy. All right, we're almost halfway done with this tier list again. We got Sister Mary Jo in the S tier, Russell Wilson, A, uh, Guy Gang hit in the Nards, B, Anthony Fauci's a C. That one's probably going to move down. Wilson's will probably move down but we've got to get through some more first pitches. We've got six more to go. Tony, what's next on the agenda? Oh, we got a good one for you next. It is the Cincinnati Dinosaur. Oh, and roar. I'm not even remotely kidding. I Tom and I got together. like We contacted each other in the middle of the week, said, hey, we're going to do this tier list. Let's just throw all these in the rundown. We weren't talking. We were just communicating through text and through Google Docs. 
I wrote down in the rundown, T-Rex, in parentheses, yes, I'm serious, because I just looked up on YouTube some of the most memorable first pitches, and one of the first clips was a doggone T-Rex or a Velociraptor on the mound throwing the ball with its mouth, and from what I remember, it wasn't that bad of a pitch. That's why I'm, I'm trying to pull up the video again. I see this actually at Petco Park, but there, I'm looking at, I was looking on YouTube. There was a couple of T-Rex first pitches that have happened. I guess this was to promote like Jurassic World coming out at the time. I'm just looking at the video now, a T-Rex in its mouth, the ball, he flings it to the fryer of the Padres. He didn't reach home plate. He was in front of the pitcher's mound. But can you even blame the, the I was going to call it a tiger. Can you blame the T-Rex for not even reaching? And then he scares off the fryer and then he runs away. That's fantastic. But it was on target, though. That's the thing. It was actually a good pitch for the circumstances of the poor bastard in the T-Rex costume that got stuck in that that day. That was a good pitch, though. Like, if you look at all of these individuals on paper and you try and tell me, all right, which one do you think has the worst possible throw? If you don't say the dinosaur with stubby little arms, so he's got to throw it with the mouthpiece of the costume, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me the T-Rex accidentally threw the ball behind him. Like, straight up balked. But no, like you said, Tom, the T-Rex easily had a better throw than Fauci, than the camera guy, than the next person who we'll actually talk about, which I find that very impressive. And what I also find impressive, like you said, Tom, I think this was to promote Jurassic World or something. I would love to be a fly on the wall during that marketing meeting when they say, hmm, you know what, we could have someone, you know, we could have Chris Pratt, we could have like Bryce Dallas Howard, we could have someone affiliated with the movie throw out the pitch. Or we could just say f*** it and have a full-blown dinosaur throw the first pitch, and then everybody in the room applauded, and they just had to use the dinosaur uh, I without even think, without even considering the logistics of it. And I love that image in my head. I would have imagined if I were in that meeting. First of all, I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that. I would have voted for dinosaur if we had to vote. Because I mean, come on, Chris Pratt—he's going to be Mario now, and that new. F Mario movie that's coming out. I don't even know how the hell. Wait, what? I we'll talk about that after the show. But what? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be voicing Mario. I guess they're doing like an animated Mario movie now. And Chris Pratt was si si signed on to play Mario, which I'm like, All right. I hate that. Yeah, I, I hate that. I love Chris Pratt, but I hate that. Yeah, I, I don't know about that one, Nintendo or whoever's making the movie. I'll, I'll blame Nintendo because that's a Nintendo property. But <laughs> yeah, do nevertheless. Nevertheless, Chris Pratt, no. The, I forget who else starred in that movie. I don't even remember the franchise that well. But T-Rex, yes. Now, where are we going to put this T-Rex, though, on the tier list? I, I honestly, I'm going to be honest, call me controversial. There's no T for T-Rex tier. I think this goes in A. Like, Ooh. every single factor working against it, the T-Rex gets off a pretty good throw. And something we haven't mentioned yet, the T-Rex costume looks real. Like, obviously, it's still a dinosaur. It's still obviously a costume. But this isn't some cheapo party city. Like, it's got some <laughs> translucent screen on the T-Rex's chest so the person could see through it. No, this looks like a real-ass dinosaur. I think even the broadcasters mentioned, like, like one of them, I forget who, the play-by-player -play or the color man, says, like, you know, I want to take that home to my kids. My boys would love that. Like, go look up the image or the video if you haven't seen it. It looks so real. Yeah, I mean... I don't know about A tier though, um, but given the circumstances, certainly A tier. I say again, let's leave it there for now, and we'll see um, when we do our final rankings. Because I'm a little hesitant. Because we're gonna put, I mean, Russell Wilson's the only other one in A tier right now. We're thinking about dropping that one. If Russell Wilson's in A tier, I mean, T Rex, I don't know if he can be 
up there just based on the pitch alone. <laughs> but that that's for I, that's a discussion we'll have in a little bit. Let's move on. You're right. Let's move on. Let's move on to someone who probably should have thrown the ball better than a literal dinosaur. Um, this is the lady who works with the White Sox who not <laughs> sh- only missed the plate, but somehow managed to hit the cameraman on her left. <laughs> oh boy. I think he sh- she shattered the camera too. Um, I'm watching it. Um, <laughs> I just see the Chicago Tribune. White Sox employee who hit photographer's camera with the ceremony of first pitch shares her story. What story is there to share? You hit the guy in the camera with the first pitch. This happened in uh, 2019, by the way, at Guaranteed Rate Field. It was employee Mary Ruich, if I'm saying her name right. It's spelled R-U-I-C-H. I'll say Ruich. And then the photographer was Darren Georgia. And then they spoke with media about it. Yeah, she hit the camera. She was throughout the ceremonial first pitch. I think it shattered the camera. I'm going to go look back on it again. But, oh, boy, that went I... wrong in the wrong ways. But it certainly went viral, though. Oh, that it did. You know what's funny? I remember actually this coming up when you and I were still in college talking on the batter's box. And this was very much a point of discussion that day, too. And it seems like we've come full circle because this pitch, I... It's honestly giving me the same vibes as the camera guy who got hit in the balls. Like, how do you have no accuracy to get it near the plate, but you have such perfect accuracy to not just hit another person, but to hit the lens of his camera? That takes a certain talent. I don't think it's as pinpoint as the guy at Fenway. I don't think this is A tier, or B tier rather, where we put the other fella. But it's still hilariously bad, if you ask me. Yeah. The White Sox has some crazy-ass people coming in to throw first pitches. I mean, they just have crazy-ass that happens to them all the time. I mean, they had, oh, was it $1 beer night or, like, disco night where they, like, set shit on fire and they had to cancel their game? Oh, that's uh, right. The disco sucks night. Yeah, like, that was, like, in the 70s or 80s, and then they had to cancel I, Like, just crazy stuff happens at this, like, with this franchise that... That, oh that could be God. a throwback deep drive to left at some point, too. That's a wild-ass story. Chicago's fucking wild, man. <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm looking back on it, it went so, viral um i mean they both had good one, sp- they both had good spirits about it so that's a good thing at the end of the day um this is a terrible pitch i'm gonna go alliteration i'm gonna put it in the c tier for camera although i think this one could drop to <laughs> d tier because of how terrible that was but fauci's c right now i th- i don't think the camera one was any worse because at least she hit a target fauci definitely did not hit a target <laughs> I mean, he if anything, he hit the dirt, which not a hard target to hit. We're definitely going to end up moving Fauci down, but I'm fine with putting her in C. I dare say it might move down as well, but C is fine. Just for the humor that, like, almost the same logic of the balls guy. How do you hit some guy with in the balls but not hit the mitt? How do you hit this guy's camera but not the mitt? So she at least has some sense of uh, accuracy, if not precision. So Just- C is fine. Yeah, just in the wrong way. But um, any rate, let's move on because I think I'm count- I'm counting. We've gone through four, five, six. We We've only got- have four left. Four left. Let's do it. Yep. And this one, I guarantee you, shouldn't take that long to deliberate. It is former President George W. Bush's first pitch at Yankee Stadium after 9/11. Now, Tom and I already talked about this pitch when we discussed the 20th anniversary of 9/11 a couple episodes back. And we deep-dived its significance, both baseball-wise and cultural, culturally speaking, then. So 
We'll save you the theatrics, but it's, Tom, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's probably the most significant first pitch ever. Am I wrong? Oh, for sure. With what the country had to go through, this is America's pastime, and Bush came out there again. We don't care about your politics. Shut the f*** up if you're going to bring politics into this. It's a first pitch. Ditto. It it was great, and he, I'm not going to say he lasered it right down the middle. It was more of a lob, but he threw it right down the middle. I believe Derek Jeter was the man catching it um there i just remember he said they at least met that night maybe he threw it to Posada. i don't know but that's definitely one of the best first pitches of all time and damn near i would say probably the best first pitch of all time i already know we said we're not going to put stuff in the best or the worst tier yet but this is certainly without a doubt an s tier first pitch at least for right now but i think that's going to move up to the best pretty soon i'm 100 percent with you tom i don't think there's going to be any real pushback for that just you ask anybody again we don't care about your politics we care about first pitches and you look at this from every conceivable angle the pitch itself the significance around it and when it happened you can't put it anywhere lower than s that's just I, I, incorrect not a lot of opinions are incorrect that would be one of them yes so that one we went through pretty quickly i mean we already knew where that one was gonna go that was i think the first thing we writ- wrote down on that <laughs> list or actually no it wasn't it was like the fourth one we wrote down but we've we've got it's the fourth the, but it's i'm looking probably the first one you go to yeah i'm looking at the other three right now and they're all very interesting in their own regards so let's move on to number seven or eight yeah number seven or eight nope that's seven you're right or eight i'm not smart i can't okay, count okay, we're communications majors we don't do <laughs> math i I wasn't a communications major. <laughs> oh yeah, you were a marketing major. I was a communications major. <laughs> yeah, you might need to know math. I, if, yeah, that's more that's that's more concerned for me. I need to know math. <laughs> but you know who probably doesn't need to know math? Olympian Simone Biles, who threw out the first pitch at Houston's Minute Maid Park. I don't remember the exact year when it happened. I remember it happening. Obviously, this is recent. Simone Biles became an all star, an all star. Oh my god, an Olympian. <laughs> you know, in the twenty tens. So um. Uh, if you don't know, she, uh, very, very petite little lady, very small woman. She did a backflip or was it a backflip or was it some kind of either a front flip, like cartwheel combo, or I think it was a front flip. Uh, cause I think she went forward and then she threw it like really lightly. You're right. You're right. It was, it was someone else I'm thinking of who did a backflip, someone who we actually crossed out and might save for later. It was another Olympian, I think though. She lunges towards the plate in a flurry of gymnastic wonder if you could say that and she hurls the ball towards home plate and she doesn't have a bad throw it's a little outside but she doesn't you know she didn't fauci it she didn't white socks lady it she got it over the plate she got it at least two i believe it was either jake marisnik or josh reddick she was throwing to i i could see them right now with their I hair believe it was red but it was reddick yes all in all, not that bad of a first pitch, objectively speaking. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I want to throw it lower because it's Houston, but I don't think we knew about the cheating scandal at the time, and that has nothing to do with Simone Biles, um, obviously with the first pitch. But yeah, that was a great first pitch. And um, I mean, it wasn't the greatest, but I mean, the flip made it more memorable. So I'm kind of in the middle with this one about where to rank it, Tony. Um, I'm thinking B or C tier, quite honestly. I want to I want to give her a little more credit. Like I was actually thinking B because like we said the throw wasn't perfect, but you look at the competition and it's definitely on the good side of yes. the spectrum. She did not she didn't throw a bad pitch so to speak and the flip only made it better. Obviously, she's an Olympic gymnast, that's what she does best. 
And like you said, Tom, it added a ton of flair to it. If she just threw it from home, from the mound, it would have been a lot less memorable than her getting off of the mound and doing a 1080 basically in midair. So I'll give her credit. I'll go B for Biles. Uh, you know what? For alliteration's sake, we're going to give her a B for Biles. Um, and that one should be staying in the B tier. Beautiful. Um, from what I'm aware of. But oh boy, we've got... Um, We've got two of, the, <laughs> we, we saved, saved the best for last, um, these last two. Oh, yes, we did. The, if you think bad first yeah, pitches. I don't even need to look at the list to know which one's are next. If you, if you think bad first pitches and you think anybody other than 50 Cent, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> what, what else can we add to it? Like, if you know about bad first pitches, obviously we'll describe it. 50 Cent's on the mound. He goes to wind it up. He goes to his little lefty stretch and the ball, you know, he checks the runner at first. <laughs> when to say the ball slipped out of his hand might be an understatement because he almost threw it backwards from the, I mean, from the angle. I think he damn near threw it halfway between home plate and first base. It was that bad. It was that <laughs> bad. I just loved everybody's reaction because they're on the camera. Everybody just is like in stunned silence and just doing their job as this is happening and you just see the ball continue rolling and then it cuts to like 50 cents like facial expression i thought that was hilarious there's nothing happens and you just take in how miserable 50 cent threw that ball (laughs) that's the beautiful thing about it it's i don't know how to describe it but when you think about first pitches and you think about what's the perfect storm of you know you get a celebrity that a lot of people know you get in a pretty big market he did this at city field and you get just the the pinnacle of inaccurate. You get the pinnacle of, have you even ever picked up a sphere in your life, let alone a baseball or any other kind of ball? Have you ever picked up anything that is perfectly spherical? And you get 50 cents first pitch. Like, if we're judging this objectively, this belongs in F. But if we're judging this based on first pitch lore and notoriety, this is S-tier. This would be probably one of the best in terms of an override this would definitely be an s tier but again we're ranking we're taking everything into consideration so this is damn this is definitely an f but i think tony we know which one will be in competition for which one will be the worst and maybe recency bias will take it into consideration but oh dear god mr notorious mma not notorious mlb himself Connor McGregor, dude gets his ass kicked time and time again over his past few fights, still talks and then he probably talked about throwing this first pitch and then delivered. But if you've even seen him try and throw a football in AT&T Stadium, that's probably like even worse. Dude tries to do like a drop back Hail Mary, like flings himself backwards and throws the ball maybe two feet. And that was bad enough. But this first pitch is just awful and it didn't help that he was probably wearing a suit that was two sizes too small for him you know what you now that you mentioned his football throw at AT AT&T stadium he I think he actually threw the baseball I mean he threw it further yeah which I find that hilarious you're supposed to get the baseball 60 feet and six inches in front of you and the football x amount of yards in front of you and this man straight up said uno reverse card I'm gonna throw the baseball 17 miles away from me and the football right in my shoe tops which, if you haven't seen the clip, Conor McGregor, much like 50 Cent, gets into his little lefty windup, and he throws it, like, imagine Conor, where Conor McGregor is standing as a compass, throws it directly northeast of himself, <laughs> in the direct, almost north-right position 
to where the catcher is. This throw landed in like the 15th. He have had to have aimed for somebody out in the audience that day. He's like, oh yeah, you want, he's got to talk in this little Irish accent. You want the ball? Here you go. And that was his first pitch. Either that or it was someone chirping him. I wouldn't be surprised if someone was chirping him about, oh, Mayweather this, Mayweather yeah. that. And he didn't <laughs> yeah. even try to hit the, it, didn't even try to hit the mitt, just straight up went headhunting in the Nate crowd. Is that Nate Diaz out there? Let Malice me hit him with the, the ball in the style. face so that way I give him a black eye <laughs> <laughs> for all he did to me. <laughs> Can't do it in the octagon, so might as well do it here. <laughs> oh boy, we could probably... We could probably so, rattle off jokes about we haven't this even all day, but oh boy, this is definitely... I was going to say, we haven't even ranked the throw yet. <laughs> yeah, we haven't ranked it yet. I already put it in the F tier, because I know which one we're going to be debating between, for <laughs> which one's the best and the worst. Oh, God. Before we deliberate that, I'd like to close off the McGregor segment with just my argument for putting it in, like, super S tier. When I was doing research on these throws, yes, I did analytical <laughs> research for which one of these throws is objectively the best and the worst. I came across the ABC news footage of uh, just the local Chicago news, and they covered this throw. And the journalist cover, uh, charged with reporting this said, and I quote, with a throw like that, McGregor might find himself at home at the Cubs pitching rotation right now. <laughs> That put such a smile on my face. I almost want to advocate to put it higher, but just based on the nature of the throw, I know we cannot do that. <laughs> oh, that that's a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, that that guy get that guy or uh, lady uh, deserves a raise for saying that. Oh boy. Okay, now we got to figure out where to rank these. So let's start with the best because we already know which one that's going to be, and I think that's George Bush, correct? Throw George Bush in the best. No competition. All right, so let's no start debate. going down and start finalizing these rankings. So we've got the best George Bush S tier. The only one that I think will be in the S tier right now, which is Sister Mary Jo, again, the badass bitch. A tier. We've got the T-Rex and we've got Russell Wilson right now, each for different reasons. So if we're judging this based, I notice we're, we're judging this based on objectively mm -hmm. speaking. I wanted to give the T-Rex some more credit because it must have been hard as hell to even get the ball out of the dinosaur's jaws in that costume. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, so I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and just say, oh, eight here. You know, he didn't throw it backwards. He didn't throw it into the stands. But if we're being fair here, Russell Wilson throw, uh, bleh, Russell Wilson's throw was a lot better. He himself obviously is a, was a multi-sport athlete played spring training ball for the Yankees one time, and I distinctly remember Ken Singleton calling a strikeout of his. I don't think it's egregious if we move the T-Rex down to B. As amazing as that is, promotional-wise and marketing-wise, I don't think they belong in the same plane. Would you, would you agree, or would you say Russell Wilson? I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll move the T-Rex down. To be fair, I was actually thinking about keeping both in the A tier, but at the same time, you also got to remember the T-Rex was thrown in front of home plate, he didn't even make it to home plate. Like, they were set up probably maybe 20 feet away from each other. With good purpose, too. But for that sake alone, let's put it in the B tier. Oh, yeah. By the way, if you heard any screaming in the background, I don't know if you did. Um, my, uh, we're watch uh, my mom loves watching the New York Giants, and she will scream at any opportunity, like, anytime they do good. Um, so if you just hear, if you heard screaming like a couple seconds ago when Tony was talking, that was why. And if you hear any screaming in the future where she's like going woo and all that, yeah, that, that'll be why they probably scored a touchdown or something. But, um, I don't blame her. That's probably the first thing Saquon Barkley's done all year. Yeah. He scrambled for the TD. Oh, did he but, actually score a touchdown right now? 
He actually, I'm not even remotely kidding. He was one yard, but he's okay, in the end zone. Oh, thank God. Now the, oh, now they're... And, and they got the two-pointer. I'm very surprised. Okay. Whoop-dee-doo. Let's, Let's move, move on. on. Uh, so we're in the B tier now. We moved the T-Rex down. We've got Simone Biles and the cat and the uh, cameraman getting hit in the balls. For their various reasons alone, I want to keep the B tier. I think this is a good B tier. I agree. Alliteration aside, I think we had solid reasoning for Excellent. both of them. And- uh, accu- accuracy in very different senses of the word, but I'm okay leaving this as it is. Now we've got the C tier, and I'm already going to drop down Fauci to D tier because of how miserable that is. I, I might honestly pick it for him for F, but we'll Well, see. we've got C and D, and we've got F, and I want to keep... I mean, I could get rid of the D tier, technically. I could edit that out of the thing if we really wanted to, because I don't think it was in there originally. Well, who do, who do we have in we've C? We've got the camera the lady right there right now. Just yes, her when she hit the camera, because she hit a target, and it was notable, we gave her the C tier. Uh, I'm okay, okay with that. So Still think that belongs, and if, you know, if anything, we could almost eliminate F tier, make D kind of the equivalent of F, and then have the worst, you know, the very worst, almost act as like an F. You know, yeah, an let, F. let's do that. Um, So, we'll make D tier just a dead heat tie, because these are awesome. Oh, wow, excuse me, I had to burp. <laughs> yeah, okay I'm there? okay. Um, <laughs> sounded like you were gargling at the sheer horror that was the D tier because I think I already know who's there. It's McGregor fifty seven. Yeah, Fauci, I'm just right? gonna preemptively move them down to F tier. Or no, I'll put them in D tier because I actually added in the F tier and I added in the worst. I'll move them up to D tier because that's gonna be act as our F tier. They're all equally bad, but I think between them all, I think McGregor and Fifty Cent are probably the two worst. I mean. Although the Be Fair Fauci's was really terrible too, but I think he actually got his the closest to home plate than either of the other two. I that I find very impressive because you look at those three and you think athleticism, and Fauci looks like the black sheep there, but he threw the <laughs> best one in that. If you think of it like in a ninety degree plane, like from home plate to the mound, and then directly ninety degrees from the mound, Fauci's was definitely the closest. He probably got it within like you know a thirty to forty degree angle. It wasn't close, but it's still better than closer to first base or the concession stand in section one oh whatever of Wrigley Field than to the plate. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. All right. <laughs> so McGregor or Fifty Cent? That's the question. I think recency bias would almost lead us to put McGregor at the worst. But here's the thing: I think Fifty Cent is still the worst. At that's- least. I mean, hmm. if you're talking about throwing a ball, what's more embarrassing, overthrowing the ball or not even throwing it appropriately and throwing it damn near the dugout? What's more embarrassing on the mound as a pitcher, overthrowing it and throwing it across your plane like as a pitcher, or are you going to take into consideration, again, not even reaching said plane? That's tough because I, I'll tell you that. It looked like McGregor at least tried – 50 Cent looked like he just wanted to get the ball to the plate and get it over with. Honestly, maybe even get the ball to the plate is putting it nicely. He just looked like he wanted to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, McGregor overthrowing it is hilarious. It will never not be hilarious. That's a tough one. I might be willing to go McGregor just because of how... I'm I'm thinking literally just proximity to the plate, and I think McGregor's might have gone further (laughs) from it. But here's also the thing. McGregor, I believe, grew up in Ireland. Baseball is not something you're typically going to play in Ireland. 50 Cent probably had to have picked up a baseball at some point in his lifetime. I, I would hope so. I mean, maybe not. Based on that pitch, I would doubt it. 
I mean, I'm I'm throwing <laughs> nationalism and citizenship into this. I didn't think I'd be saying that today, but I, I think you got to take that into consideration, though. You know what? Demographics. Irish people typically aren't the biggest baseball fans. I, I say that while one of the biggest Yankee fans I know is actually from Ireland. <laughs> hmm. You know what? I You might have just sold me on that just because McGregor's pitch objectively, I think, was worse. Like, I might need to rewatch 50 Cent again, strangely enough, with how ingrained that is into my brain mm-hmm. and my psyche. But if you're just thinking about who is more likely to throw a better pitch, McGregor's used to throwing hands and not much yes. else. 50 Cent, who granted probably isn't used to throwing much else based on his throw, you 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 can't really get much worse. You you can't really look at that and think, oh, well, there was an attempt. That's probably the mo- That's probably the nicest thing you could say about either of them. I'm, I'm watching McGregor's again, just so I can compare them. His mechanics aren't actually terrible, but the pitch was. It actually wasn't, looking at the behind-the-back angle, it was still bad, but it wasn't, like, nearly as bad as I thought it was looking at the um, angle many people have probably seen. I'm going to look at 50 cents again just to confirm my suspicions, but based on this evidence, I think I already know how this is going to go. Um, let's see, 50 cent. I feel like this could honestly come up to a coin toss. Mm. This, this, mind you, the winner of this is it shouldn't exactly feel great. Like the one who remains in D tier, you're still worse than Anthony Fauci at throwing a baseball, <laughs> at least in a vacuum. I, I'm going to be honest, I might have to switch my vote to 50 cent. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Because you also got to consider, McGregor was also throwing yes. in a suit. Like, you, you said it yourself. It's like three sizes too small for him. I, 50 Cent, I know, was wearing a jersey, was, a Mets jersey. So, you know what? I think considering all the factors, I'm going to have to say 50 Cent is the worst first pitch of all time. Now, eventually when we do part two of this, um, if we ever get around to it, which we should, maybe we'll compare what we thought was the worst there, or the D tiers in the worst. We can maybe compare them to each other, because there's some stinkers that'll be in part two. <laughs> We'll have a whole separate tier list for just the worst throws <laughs> yeah, ever. And then, like and the, then we'll, the, the, the 10 worst in this one and the 10 worst in the next one will go head-to-head to find the absolute <laughs> yeah, worst. Yeah, maybe that'll be a social media campaign we'll do, Tony. Maybe we'll just ask the people, whose is the worst? We'll compare them. We'll do it bracket style. I was literally we'll, about we're to say do that. We'll do a gauntlet to the death for whoever has the worst first pitch. Now, but at any rate, so that's our tier list of first pitches in MLB history. Again, this is only 10 of them. There's still plenty more that are notorious for either good or bad reasons. Um, But this is our list so far. We're going to post on social media. Let us know what you think in the comments of it. Feel free to share it. Make it go viral. I don't know. But this is our rankings right now. And Tony, I'm taking a look at the clock. I pulled up the wrong clock. We've been recording for like about two hours and 15 minutes. I think we each had some closers. But um, I, at least I know my closer I could talk about when we get closer to the playoffs because there's actually a story that come out, that came out of Tampa Bay that kind of has to do with the playoffs. But I, I, I don't know about the closer today, Tony. I think we're running a little too long. I'm with you in that regard. I mean, mine, I mentioned it briefly around the horn. It was going to be about Juan Soto. But considering the year is going to be winding down, I don't see Juan Soto slowing down in the, what, six games he has left. My closer will probably still be relevant in a week's time or so. I think we could just save them till then. I believe we have more than enough content to give to you lovely people for this week. Exactly. Now, Tony, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up the fourth episode of the Diamond Duo podcast? 
Um, well, other than the fact that Nick Castellanos hit yet another home run today, I, I'm not kidding. That's breaking news live. He hit one against the Nationals while we were recording. Um, no, I think we've covered just about all of our bases. Please go follow us on social media at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter and the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. Be on the lookout for this tier list on both of those accounts. We'll be posting that. Leave some comments. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What pitches do you want to see next time? What tier list do you want to see next time? Hey, we have ideas. Like Tom said, this might be a reoccurring um, occurrence in the offseason. But if you've got ideas, shoot them our way. We are absolutely open to any and yes, all ideas. we are open to any ideas. Again, give us a follow on those platforms. Leave some comments on our posts because we want to engage with you. We want to know what why you think baseball is so special, why you love the sport. Share that with us. And of course, if we're wrong, then feel free to call us out on our bullshit. But any rate, that'll do it for the fourth episode of the Diamond Duo podcast. Again, my name's Tom Bauer. He's Tony Puglisi. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know this is another long episode. We apologize for that. We had some fun talking about the MLB playoff race, talking about some first pitches. And, of course, we'll be back again next week just in time for the playoffs to probably give some predictions and talk some more baseball next week. Again, thank you for listening, and have a great week, everybody.